This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odeschulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Baha'i Perspective is a radio program that presents a Baha'i perspective on life through interviews. If you want specific information on the Baha'i faith, you're welcome to visit the website www.baha'i.org. That's B-A-H-A-I dot O-R-G. Or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. Like other folks I interview, Lars Patinode has more to tell than one hour can allow. In this first telephone interview segment, Lars describes his journey that led him to becoming a Baha'i. It includes dropping out of college, going back to college, being a rock and roll band manager, and going to graduate school. I started the interview by asking Lars to describe where he grew up. I grew up in Scarsdale, New York, which is a suburb just north of New York City. It's, it's a pretty affluent community, so I grew up around a lot of money. Uh, people with a lot of privileges. It was not a very diverse community in terms of race, but it did have a mix of religions in terms of uh, there was Christianity, Christianity and uh, Judaism, which mm. were a lot of my friends were Jewish. Most of my girlfriends were Jewish growing up. So I got a uh, you know a different view that th- there wasn't just one religion. And you grew up as Christian in what denomination? I was raised Catholic. However, my my father. Catholic, and uh, when my mother and father got married, my mother, who was raised Congregationalist, uh, which is Protestant, she converted to Catholicism. However, she never really, growing up uh, Congregationalist, she participated, but not religion wasn't a big part of her life, but uh, religion was a large part of my father's life, and uh, so she agreed to convert to Catholicism when they got married. So growing up, I was raised Catholic, went to church every Sunday with my father. However, my mother rarely went. She became Catholic to get married, but she never really took to it. So that was my experience growing up with religion. Mm-hmm. The deal my father had was with myself and my brother and sister was that we attend church and Sunday school and all the religious things that go along with Catholicism until we were 15 and were um, confirmed. Mm-hmm. And then he said once we were confirmed, we were allowed to choose whether we wanted to continue going to church or not. All of us just stopped going to church after, <laughs> mm-hmm. after 15. I always felt a presence of God. I always felt there was something, I felt always kind of scared at church. <laughs> there, was a, there was an element of fear somewhere in there, and I, I just never felt really comfortable in the Catholic surrounding at the church, the holidays and things like that. Uh, I enjoyed the family aspects of the religion, of, of you know the holidays and things like that. But when it involved church, going to the um, institutional part of it, it, it just didn't sit right with me. Mm-hmm. And as you were growing up, did you experience other friends' religious ceremonies or synagogues yeah, I, or whatever? Growing up in Scarsdale, as I said, there's a large Jewish population. I was exposed to all the Jewish holidays. My, my, our school system in, in Scarsdale, uh, we got the Christian holidays off and the Jewish holidays off, so it was very embedded into our community, and um, all my, you know, my best friend to this day is Jewish, and uh, 
all the ceremonies and you know all the family events and things like that. And there were a couple things I, lo- I really liked about Judaism, and there were some things that I didn't feel you know right. I, I really enjoyed the family aspect of Judaism. You know, a lot of the things that they did was was around the family at home, uh, gathering family together. That was kind of you know the the main push. At least for for my friends, the main push of their religion was about family. Another thing I really liked was uh, that in Judaism, there's there's no proselytizing, there's no push to make you Jewish. Uh, you know, uh, being Jewish is something that most people are born into, and uh, to actually to convert is, is is a difficult process. Whereas in you know Christianity, you have a lot of evangelicals or people who are you know trying to push the religion on you, and, and that's something that I've never felt comfortable with religion. Um, that was an aspect of Judaism that that I, I I liked. I felt very comfortable because I didn't feel pressured in any way whenever I was with my Jewish friends. Mm-hmm. However, <laughs> now that I say that, it just reminded me that that in high school I was with a a girlfriend, and you know we talked about future and things like that. Very as young children do or young kids do, you know, get excited about the 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 idea of perhaps spending the rest of your life together. And she'd always tell me that. If I ever, if, if if we ever got married in the future, that I would have to convert to Judaism. Mm. You know, that was that was not a choice. That was, uh, you know, prerequisite. Mm. And and our children would have to be raised Jewish. And that always made me feel kind of strange whenever she said something like that. Right. It's not uncommon to to hear that. I've known that a couple. I've known a couple of cases where a Gentile who marries a Jewish woman ends up converting to Judaism. So they so they marry. My best friend's brother's wife converted to Judaism when they got mm. married. And yeah. uh, that was very important to uh, his parents. <laughs> mm-hmm. I understand that aspect of Judaism because in terms of the Jewish world, it's, it's a small world, and it's, as, as I was saying before, conversion isn't very common. You're mostly born into it, so therefore the community is a limited community. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, when you're raising a family, the hope is that you raise Jewish children to carry on the tradition. So that was my that was my experience with religion growing up was was mostly the uh, being surrounded by Jewish community and being raised in a uh, Catholic family. You know, mm-hmm. as I said, my father was far more Catholic than my mother. My mother, I guess I can speak of her. She always had uh, a spiritual belief. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said, though she never went to church, she wasn't very interested in, in institutional religion. Yeah. Um, but she always spoke of otherworldly things, of God. She believed in the possibility of reincarnation. I definitely, you know, she believed in souls and, and things that weren't physically tangible. Mm-hmm. So I always felt that she had this influence on me in terms of spiritual belief without, without specifics, mm-hmm. whereas my father was a very specific believer in the Catholic religion, mm-hmm. followed the dogma very clearly mm-hmm. when he never, uh, my mother just recently told me he never missed a day of, he missed mm-hmm. one day of church in their 36-year marriage. He missed one day mm-hmm. because he was, he had 114 fever, and my mother wouldn't let him go. <laughs> <laughs> but otherwise, he he's a, a very serious practicing Catholic. Yeah, so you had a combination of non-orthodoxy and orthodoxy spirituality in your family. Yes. Um, uh, that's, that's a good uh, analysis, and... Uh, it's interesting to see that my brother and my sister how and myself how we all came out of that 
my sister's very uh, scientific, and I'm now a Baha'i, and my brother is, is kind of um, searching around. <laughs> mm. But as I said, all, the three of us, none of us felt comfortable with the Catholic religion. Mm. What happened after high school? I, I should say in high school, I, I had kind of an influence also was at, in uh, Scarsdale, you had an option to be a part of a secondary high school called the A School, which is an alternative school. And it was kind of a smaller community within the public high school. Mm-hmm. So it was a school to try to see different approaches to education. And the school followed Kohlberg's theory of moral development. What's that? The theory of moral development that it has six stages going from acting out of you know, fear, obedience, punishment, up to uh, the sixth level, whereas you are acting for the good of humanity or acting, you, you do things just because you believe it's a, a good thing to do, mm-hmm. not because you're being watched or told to do something. Mm-hmm. The idea behind the school was that a student who's acting on a higher moral level is going to get more out of education. They're going to attack the curriculum in a different way that a, that a student who's not involved with, with the curriculum would, would be. They, you know, the education becomes a vehicle for somewhat, you know, enlightenment almost, enlightenment Mm -hmm. and a path to help the world. (laughs) An introduction to thinking beyond myself, Mm -hmm. uh, thinking to to higher aspirations. Before that, growing up in Scarsdale, where where affluence is, is common and most of the people are very successful in business and the idea of succeeding is, is, is monetary, is, uh, material, a big house, nice cars, uh, country club kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then I all of a sudden am exposed to this new education view that, that the purpose of education is not to get the good job and get money, it is, but is to figure out how you can fit into the world and, and add to the world and help the world along. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that, was, that was, had a, a big impact on me. Yeah. And, and looking at it now, I, I see that immediately it affected me, but it, it took a little while to really take root. Mm. Now, I have a question. Was the school attempting to basically transform people from one, let's say, lower level consciousness to this higher level consciousness? Yes. It was talked about from the start of when, when you entered the school, you were told that, you know, this is, you, you studied the theory of moral development and the head of the school said, you know, the hope is, that we all try to get to higher levels of development. And the belief was that the higher you are on the development chain, the more whole human you are, the more you can help the world. And uh, that was kind of the goal of the school, is to, to graduate students who are trying to fix, the, you know, trying to make an impact in the world in a, in a very positive way. Now, how was the student body selected? In second year in high school, you could apply mm-hmm. and about 15 students were taken each year, so it was it was supposedly a lottery. And, mm-hmm. uh, so I was very fortunate, and you know, the, the, by growing up in Scarsdale, in such an affluent community, gave the public school the ability to have these kind of things. Where whereas I've worked in other schools since, and and a lot of communities don't have the the resources to have a school such as this. Right. So so I was very fortunate to have the opportunity yeah. to experience such a such a education before college mm. uh, a lot of people get to college and, and start seeing these new type of educational ideas and i was, I was fortunate to be exposed to it at a younger age mm. however <laughs> it, 
as I said, I think it took a little while to take fruit because my college years uh, show that I, I didn't really take full advantage of my what you learned in high in school. My introduction, yeah, to the to the to the model, to the model of, of moral development. <laughs> so, what happened in college? Well, I, I went to a small liberal arts college in northern New York and got there, and immediately uh, <laughs> went in and I. I didn't take advantage of the school at all. I, I went there and I, I had what I thought was having a lot of fun and didn't take my classes seriously. And I was asked to leave after my first semester because mm-hmm. I had such a low average. And uh, I really just totally did, I, I, I didn't take part in the school at all. I just went there and basically partied. Now, uh, what like, were your study habits at home during high school? They were, they were okay. They weren't great. I, I was very interested in social aspect of life yeah, <laughs> when yeah. I was younger. I put way more time into my friends and my social life than, than to my academic life. Yeah. I was fortunate to be in this, this school, this alternative school, because when you were at the school, they, they, it was really, you were watched over. You were, uh, the, the community acted as sort of an organism where everyone tried to take care of everyone else. Mm-hmm. So while you were at school, you were encouraged by not only teachers but by other fellow students to to study and to work hard and to really apply yourself to to develop yourself. Outside of school is another story. When I wasn't in school, I really felt like it was my time. I could do what I wanted. I, I didn't understand. I, I didn't get the the full idea that to really develop yourself, you need <laughs> you need to. Apply yourself 24 hours a day. You, you can't just uh, check out after hours and, and do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. It all has an effect on your life. And that's exactly what I did in college my first semester. I just didn't, I just felt like I was there to have a good time and I had no, uh, I took no responsibility for my actions and, and for my education. And as I said, I was asked to leave after one semester. Was that kind of traumatic for you? It, it was extremely traumatic. It, it, it really it, it shook me to the core. Because up until that point, I kind of had this view of life, of how it was going to unfold in front of me. I was, I, w- I was going to go to college, you know, meet meet my you know future wife, make connections for a future job. Uh, I still had these ideas of moral development that were learned in, in, in high school, but I still had, I think, material drive growing up in Scarsdale. I, I still believed that I was going to have a good job, I was going to have a, you know, get a big house, join a country club, you know, raise three kids, and have, you know, have a very comfortable material life. Right. When I got kicked out of college, all of a sudden, this whole world got shaken to its core. It, it fell apart, because getting kicked out of college didn't figure into the equation. Mm-hmm. So I, I found myself at home, and most of my friends were off at college. I was, I was very embarrassed. My parents weren't excited about it, though I must say they're extremely supportive. My parents have always been supportive of me. They've always helped me out and tried to keep me, keep me going, though mm-hmm. they were, as I said, disappointed. Mm-hmm. But it took a while. I, I, I was home, and I... I I tried getting some temporary jobs. I, I worked here and there, but and I, I, I kind of saw what the daily nine to five jobs look like, mm-hmm. and and I, I didn't really like it. And uh, mm-hmm. I started to uh, analyze my life more closely. I, you know, it, it's it's kind of takes, unfortunately, 
for, for most people and, and, and for humanity as a whole. I think it takes, you know, these shake-ups to give you the opportunity to look at yourself or, and, and to, to analyze what's going on and what road you're taking, what, what kind of effects it has on yourself and the people around you. And I just, I, I didn't really like what I was, what I was seeing when mm-hmm. I was looking at myself and, and thinking about the, the, the choices I had made. The deal with my college was that I had, to, uh, had a year suspension. Mm-hmm. And they highly recommended my, uh, that I go to a local college and take some courses to show that I'm serious about education. Uh, so after six months, I'd, I'd worked a little while, mm-hmm. and uh, then I, I, I applied to the local college and took some courses there and, and started to take the courses more seriously. I really, for one thing, I didn't have many friends around because they were, as I said, they were off at their respective colleges and uh, so I started. I started to study really, really hard um, in school and outside of school, and I stopped going out. and I, I tried to stay in and focus on on my work, and uh, I, I did quite well. And I was really kind of kind of pleased with myself, and, and it was it was a nice experience to see that I could accomplish um, the work that was put out for me and, and do quite well. Mm-hmm. And and after that year, the, the my original school had accepted me back going back i felt like i was a new person i had i had a kind of a new outlook on things and uh, a new game plan for studying and and for my social life as well mm-hmm. going back which which is strange because i had uh, many friends from my first term there and and most of those friends you know were associated with mm. not studying <laughs> right. with a, a different kind of lifestyle right. And I, I had to somewhat reinvent myself at the school, mm-hmm. which which was another, I, I think, important step in my development, mm-hmm. um, because I, I had to kind of break away from a crowd that accepted me and that I, I felt a, a kinship with because of I, I had a lot of experiences with these people and I knew why and how they did things, but. I knew it wasn't good for me, and I knew that I had to find a different crowd of people that were more interested in, in improving themselves and, and doing well in school, and also, you know, who had an outlook on life more similar to the one that I had been had been formulating. Mm-hmm. One of my big things when I got back to college, I, I kind of had no idea what I, what I wanted to study. I originally, going to college, thought I wanted to do environmental biology or something in the environmental field. Mm-hmm. In my year off, I realized that I, I wasn't really sure about that. So when I went back to school, I kind of had an open slate, and I just applied to a few classes. And, and, and one of the classes I ended up in, unintentionally, was Introduction to Religious Studies. Mm-hmm. And this was an overview course on the study of religion. It looked into a few of the major religions, you know, a very general overview. And this course just changed my my. I, I I was I think I was really afraid of religion from growing up as I did. I really did not like organized religion. As I said, I never felt comfortable in church. When I took this introduction to religious class, I saw we studied Hinduism and Buddhism and Islam, and we even looked at Christianity. And for me, looking at Christianity from a academic point of view, it gave me the distance that enabled me to feel a bit more comfortable about it. Hmm. I really enjoyed this way of looking at religion, and I really enjoyed looking at other religions, especially the Eastern religions. And in what, when you say looking at it in this way, what way was that? 
the academic way was, you know, it's a detached way. It's mm-hmm. safe. It's very safe because you have the credentials of an outsider, but you're able to look deep into the dogma of the religions, the traditions of the religions, the practices of the religions. But you can always, you always have that card that says, oh, oh no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not a part of this. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a very safe way of looking at religions, and especially for someone like me who didn't feel that safe within the religion mm-hmm. that I was brought up in. Mm-hmm. This gave me a new avenue into religion, and I found it fascinating. And I also felt that it was, it was filling something that I needed. I, I felt, as I was being exposed to these new religions, I, I felt like there was this world out there that, that I had kind of let go and now was slowly rediscovering. I eventually declared religious studies my major, and I, I studied, particularly I studied Hinduism. One of the reasons was one of the head professor at the school of the religious studies department, he was, his, his main focus was Hinduism, so there was a lot of opportunities to study Hinduism. In fact, I, I took a semester abroad in India with this professor to study Hinduism more deeply, and uh, that really changed my outlook greatly as well. Mm-hmm. Um, no, what was it about studying religion that so excited you? As I said, I think it, it, it just fit something or, or brought something back to my life that, that was missing, that I, that I didn't know was missing. And that was kind of a very subtle feeling. That wasn't, uh, I, didn't, I didn't really analyze that too closely. Mm-hmm. The other part of it was that in education, I, I, I always felt I never liked being too focused into one direction. Um, I always felt then when I was going in one direction, I, I all of a sudden started looking out at everything else that was going on and lost my focus. And I think when I was away from school and had experienced the working world and getting jobs, I, I found I was getting put in these very specific jobs, and I, and I, I could not, it, it didn't fit me with, with me well. I, I just didn't have the, the focus to focus on one little thing or one aspect of life. And I found with studying religion, I was able to study history, I was able to study geography, philosophy, anthropology, sociology. It, it covered such a broad spectrum of the academic, academic world that it really, it really kept me interested. Whenever I felt myself getting a little too caught up in one thing, I could focus on something else. And also, because of it's a comparative course, or it's a, it's the, I was studying many religions, I, I could focus on other religions. I didn't have to stay with one religion. It kept my mind very... Uh, active, which which was nice for me. Mm-hmm. As I said, I, I, I sort of went towards the Eastern religion, specifically Hinduism. I found that this religion in particular had such a huge array of things to study and had such a huge history, and uh, it was very diverse. Not only is there <laughs> 101 million gods, uh, there's also just one god, and there's a million different ways to practice Hinduism. Yeah. Um, Though today in India there's uh, a movement to say there's only one way to be Hindu, but uh, in studying it, I just found it very, very freeing to be able to to take, to go at it in so many different ways and to and to learn so many different things about a culture. Mm-hmm. And that, that was another thing that the studying religion was such a wonderful way to, to discover cultures because most cultures are based on a religion. Mm-hmm. And, uh, if you get into the religion, you can really start to understand why cultures develop a certain way and why people in, within that culture act a certain way. And it, it gave me a new perspective on the world and why the world works the way it does now and why certain countries and uh, peoples 
see other people's in, in one way or another. Mm-hmm. So the, that is why, you know, some of the reasons why studying religion uh, fascinated me and, and really made me feel that I'd found something that really spoke to me. Mm-hmm. As I was studying religion, uh, I started to lose that, that spectator's license. I started to dabble in the philosophies and ideas of the religions mm-hmm. and um, kind of would try to act out different traditions of different religions. Um, I, I, pract- I started to practice fasting once a week, and I'd practice vegetarianism. A lot of this stuff came from Hinduism. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried to be more conscious of my actions, you know, taking things from Buddhism and Jainism, uh, nonviolence uh, in thought and in practice. Going to India also, I, you know, I got to almost, you know, really immerse myself in a Hindu culture, in a Muslim culture. It, it was funny being a, uh, being a Caucasian male walking around India. I, I would dress in Indian garb, and I, I felt very Indian. And I, I would sometimes catch my reflection and see how... How, <laughs> how not <laughs> Indian you looked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. It was funny, a, a lot of... When you meet a Christian Indian, mm. the first thing they think is that you're a Christian because you're white, and mm. uh, I would I would... Whenever I met someone who was a Christian Indian, and they would say, "Oh, you're, you know, Christian," I'd say, "No, no." I was very adamant that I was not Christian, and I wasn't anything. But I was, if anything, it was more Hindu than Christian. And I, I was really kind of confused. Yet you know, I was, I was moving <laughs> spiritually throughout many different uh, worlds. I think mm-hmm. I, um, what it was called in the academic world was uh, the salad bar religion. Was it take, oh, salad bar? Yeah, you know, take take a little bit of. Of all, of, yeah, the eclectic. Yeah, of all the religions. Take what you like of, of each one. Yeah. I thought that was the answer. It was, it was actually, um, I thought maybe if everyone had studied religious studies, uh, the world could be a better place because everyone could take a little bit of every religion, take the best of every religion, and, and, and become that. And, uh, and I, I started to tell this to my, one of my professors, actually my advisor. I said, you know, I think I want to. I think I want to write a thesis about the, the mix of all religions and try to find the cohesion, to find the find mm. the the thread that runs through all the religions. And, mm. and in at least in my experience with the, in the academic religious studies world, that is is very much frowned upon. Uh, the goal is to take apart religions and study the details, and any attempt to try to put them together is is goes against the idea of the study of religions. Mm. And and I was just told again and again, I, I don't don't do that. Just just pick pick a topic of one of the religions and, and get into that. But don't don't try to put all the religions together because it just doesn't work. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, no one mentioned the Baha'i faith. <laughs> so I, I, I never. It, it's interesting. In four years of studying religion, I had heard the Baha'i faith one time, and that was because a, a fellow student was a Baha'i. Mm-hmm. But he never talked about it. He just said one day in class said. Professor was asking about religions, and one of the students said, "Oh, I'm a Baha'i," and that was it. Mm-hmm. It didn't pique your not, interest. Not at all. I think I was just focused on the larger religions at that time, and mm-hmm. I, and and it just didn't didn't click at that moment. Right. right? For, for who knows why. <laughs> but, sure. So I, I kind of just went on in in that way for a while, just kind of looking at all the religions and trying to take the the best of each one. Actually, I, there was a danger in that that, that I experienced, and, and I didn't know what it was until very recently. Um, um, this this is all taking place, by the way, in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I graduated in 96. So in 95, I was in India. In 96, I was still in school. And um, and in studying in, or in trying to take it from all these different religions, I think without an anchor of a particular faith or a particular moral belief, religious belief, y- you can get somewhat prideful. Mm. There's a book by Mr. Adib Bahazadeh that many Baha'is know called The Covenant of Baha'u'llah. The prologue to this book is, is just fantastic, and, and I was told a couple of years ago that I should read this, and, and I did, and I've read it probably a hundred times since. And He talks about, in the last part of this prologue, he talks about the kingdom of names, which is, is what God showers down upon us, the names such as courage and kindness and generosity and love and respect, all the attributes of God. And he talks about how one of the great dangers is to take these names of God and to make them your own. Uh, it's, it's similar to, you know, the rain comes out of the sky and it lands on you and makes you wet. And you shouldn't be proud of being wet. You know, you know the, the rain made you wet. So it's, you know, God showers down generosity upon you, love, kindness. You should be these things, but not take them as your own, as your pridefulness. And, uh, and I think when I was dabbling in these different religions and, and, and trying to find my perfect religion, I really got to enjoy the feeling of, of feeling religious, feeling spiritual, feeling generous. and I enjoyed them in a way that was, I look back on now, and I, I think I was quite prideful. Mm. And I really liked that people saw this certain person that I was. And I, I, I think I enjoyed it for the wrong reasons. And as I said, I, until reading this prologue in the Covenant of Baha'u'llah, I really didn't understand what I was going through uh, back in the, back in the mid-90s. Mm. Um, I didn't really understand what went wrong in, in my outlook, um, because as, as I'll go on to explain, uh, things didn't continue on in a positive way. I, I looked around, and, and I, I saw a world that I really didn't like, and, and I, I felt like, oh, I'm this, you know, very religious person, and I'm have all these great attributes, and <laughs> I um, and I just felt detached from the world. I was kind of losing connection with the world, and uh, I graduated from college, and I decided I was going to hitchhike around the United States and 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 try to figure out how to improve the country and improve the people, and uh, and in traveling around, I kind of lost my goals. I just felt my, I, I just got pulled back into the world of personal gratification. Gra- yeah, exactly. Personal gratification over uh, trying to do things to better the world. As I was saying earlier, I think, you know, it's because of the misunderstanding of the names of God, of, of misunderstanding of the beauties that God gives us that caused me to overstate my abilities or, you know, I, I didn't have the capacity to deal with the world as it was. I took it on without the abilities I needed, and I, I was lost. After a while, I, I hitchhiked around, and, and I saw the, the country and met many people. And I, I did have many wonderful experiences, and I got to meet a lot of very interesting people, and I, I found that the United States is, is far more diverse than I ever thought it was. It has many different cultures. Uh, it's not just one American culture. Mm. I look back on these things, and I see that it really added to, kind of helped me on my path. But I did lose... I think my my direction for a while, hmm. and um, I came back to the East Coast, and a friend of mine was starting a band, or was actually in a band, and 
they were all graduating from college and wanted to go professional, and I told them I'd be their manager. And and for many years, I, I worked in the rock and roll business, managing a, a band. I felt different the whole time. I, I never the world of music in the United or in the Northeast, at least. You know, it's filled with drinking and, and drugs, and um, the hours are horrendous. It's late night, going from town to town, going to going to bars and theaters, and uh, the people that I was surrounded by were just, uh, it was just people were lost. And mm-hmm. it, was, it was very, it was a mess. It was, uh, people just did not know, had no grounding. And I, I was losing my grounding as well, and it felt like, this isn't me. I, kept, I, I would think this for years. I, I was doing this for years, and I just never felt happy. You know, mm-hmm. I would see my friends or family, and they'd say, oh, how are you? And I'd say, oh, I'm great, you know. Inside, I just say, oh, I'm not great. This is horrible. This is just, this isn't fun, and this isn't how life is supposed to be. But the thing is, when I met the guys in this in this band, they said, you know, the world is is, is in bad state, and the way to make it a good place is to let people have fun, is to play music, and let you know, let people drink and be merry. And for a while, I tried to convince myself that they were right, mm-hmm. that the that the whole purpose, you know, the only way to make the world a better place was to make people happy, and the way to do that is to play music and, uh, you know, drink and, and, and dance and things like that. And uh, But it never felt right. I could never convince myself that this was actually making the world a better place, because I'd look around and, and I'd say, I'd see that the, uh, that everyone around me was lost and, and no one was really happier, and it wasn't making the world a better place. So slowly, I, 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 we were, I was living in, in northern New York in the Lake Placid area, and uh, I started looking for other jobs. As I was managing this band, I started to work at uh, a local school. I started working in their department for kids who were on the verge of being kicked out of school for disciplinary actions. As I said earlier, a lot of communities in the United States don't have a lot of money, so therefore they don't have a lot of services. My education background is a, you know, was a religious studies background. I had a BA, that was it. And all of a sudden, I'm I'm in charge of students who are have huge dis- you know, disciplinary problems, learning difficulties, family problems, personal problems, and I, I'm the only I, myself and one other person was taking care of these children, these kids, and trying to get them through their classes because their normal teachers couldn't do it mm-hmm. and they couldn't work in a normal classroom. And this was this was this. All of a sudden, I felt like okay, here is something that I can do that's positive. It's not surrounded by bad elements that the band was surrounded by. Mm-hmm. So I worked for a couple of years while I was still managing the band. I was, I was doing this at the, at the school, and uh, I started to realize that it was sad that I was the only person, aside from one other person, who was trying to help these kids, or, that the school couldn't provide anyone, and, and uh, the state wouldn't give the school money to provide to help these kids who are totally lost and, and really having a hard time. And I would go to their houses and try to see what their personal lives were like. And a lot of them came from broken homes. Um, they really didn't have any good role models. It was a really uh, a huge eye-opener for me. Uh, I would kept going to the principal and, and saying, you know, we need to do more. We need to have a, a larger program. And he said, I, I don't, there's no money. State won't give us any more money. So this is it. I, I felt like where I was at, I, I was just not doing enough. Mm. So one day after working with some kids, I went to the computer lab and I typed in a few things. I, I think I typed in uh, graduate school, uh, peace, r- religion, 
education and just pressed, you know, search on Google. The first school that came up was a school called Landeg Academy. It had a graduate program, and it was in Switzerland. And this is somewhere I've always wanted to go. And the school looked beautiful. And I, I just had this instinct. I just had this first thought. I said, that's where I'm going to end up. I ended up doing a, a, a large search for graduate programs. And I decided that I wanted to do graduate school outside the United States. So I looked at all these schools, applied to about 10 schools. But I also applied to Landeg. And they were the first school that got back to me. And I agreed to go there. And, what, uh, what year was this? This was in 2000. I, in my research in the school, I learned that it was a Baha'i-inspired school. So I, I put my religious studies, academic skills to work and, and did a little research and, and, and saw everything I liked, I, everything I agreed with. I, I, I saw it as a non-threatening religion. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I felt like I could go to a school inspired by the Baha'i faith, I, and I wouldn't feel that I was compromising any of my beliefs or compromising my freedom to think that it was, it was a school that I could go to and, and pursue what I wanted. I say this because there are some religious institutions that are very much founded on their, on their principles and, and, and beliefs, and those principles and beliefs may be limiting, may cast a shadow on other principles and beliefs. And I didn't want to go to a school that, that, that limited pursuits in any ways. And, I, and, I, and looking at the Baha'i faith, I saw, okay, this, this school looks like they would allow me to go in, in many different directions and wouldn't hold me back because of the religion the school is based on. Mm-hmm. So I went to, um, to Landeg in Switzerland. The way the graduate school works there is, is they start with whatever program you're entering, and, and the program I was entering was International Conflict Resolution. I decided on this because I felt like I wanted to do something more with my life than just act on a, on a local level. I, I think I got that from working at the school in New York. That I felt like it was just, it was so localized, and, and, the, and the challenges were so large that I, I felt like I couldn't get the things done that I wanted to do at this local level. And I saw that a lot of the, the problems that we're facing were were you know, these conflicts of interest. And I felt like, okay, if I could learn about conflict resolution, I, I, could, I could, you know, maybe get into a position of, of, pol- of changing policies or changing ways businesses or nations did things and would therefore provide proper education for, you know, these problem children in New York. Mm-hmm. And that's how I ended up there. And then one of the great things about Landeg that a lot of the other schools that dealt with conflict resolution was that Landeg, in their statement, said that their program is based on the belief that the conflict could be resolved. It could be completely resolved. In all the other schools that I looked at, conflict was to be managed. Mm. It couldn't be resolved. It was to be managed. Mm. And I just didn't think that was enough. I felt like you've got to aim higher than that. You've got you've mm. to try to go for, you know, go for it all. You can't just take, take half. Interesting. So I went there, and, and as I said, the, the first part of their graduate course is no matter what your discipline is, you take a core of three courses with three of the founders of the school. The, the three were Dr. Hossein Dinesh, uh, Dr. Behrouz Sabet, and Dr. Michael Penn. Mm-hmm. Many Baha'is who are listening to this probably have heard their names. Mm-hmm. Myself, going into the school, I'd never heard of these guys. Right. And have since learned, uh, you know, read many of their writings, that uh, you know, books that they've written, and uh, 
and, and have, have gotten to know them very well and realized that I was very fortunate to be introduced to the Baha'i faith, to, to get to uh, listen to these people talk about the faith and talk about the principles of the faith right from the outset. To get an introduction like that was, was quite, well, quite overwhelming at first. Well, why was it overwhelming? These three, and there were you know, many more professors at the school that also taught me so much about the faith and the students. But these three courses in particular were, you know, were, were the, the formal studies. The, the whole point of these courses was to introduce the new graduate student to the principles that the school was founded on, which is the principles of Baha'i faith, which I had just, you know, barely glanced, you know, looked over before I went to the school to see if it, you know, was something I could live with. And these professors had been studying the faith most of their lives, and, and it really had transformed the writings of the faith into material that, was, that could be taught academically. I found myself confronted with these, these huge ideas in just a short period of time. And, um, a month earlier, I had been planning a, a concert for this band and <laughs> saying goodbye to people. And the next month, I was, I was listening to uh, discussions on, on the move towards world unity, the, the removal of racial prejudice, the equality of men and women. And I was just dumbfounded. And the one thing that I got most rolled over by was, was something, actually, I, I, I think I was talking with a fellow student, and they were telling me about, I said, you know, tell me a little bit more about the Baha'i faith. This was a student who was a Baha'i. And the first thing they said was, you know, the basis of the belief is this idea of progressive revelation. Mm-hmm. And they explained progressive revelation, which is the belief that God, throughout time, has always sent messengers to guide humanity. All these messengers are from the same God, Abraham, Moses, Krishna, Buddha, Jesus, Muhammad, and eventually the Bab and Baha'u'llah. I almost fell over laughing because this was exactly the thesis that I was looking to write back in undergraduate school. Hmm. And the one that my professor said, oh, don't, you know, don't get involved with that kind of thinking because it's academic suicide for, for religious studies to try to, to put all these religions together and, and I'd always felt that the religions of the world had a, had a bond. Mm. And when I was told that the Baha'i faith was based on this belief of progressive revelation, I just, I just said, wow, you know, this is something I've always believed, and I just never really had the proper words for it. It just really it made me uh, almost fall backwards. And from there, I, I learned more of the faith through late-night discussions with other students, with discussions in the classroom with professors, with discussions outside the classroom with professors. And as I was studying, as you know, I was doing my academic work, but I was also very interested in the faith. I just really was like, I was, I was amazed that this faith existed, that it had many principles that I believed in already. It was kind of the, the culmination of my, of my search for the perfect faith. The Baha'i faith seemed to have all the qualities that I had put together for my own personal religion, but it had that anchor I, I was speaking of, you know, the, the anchor that kept you from losing grip on why you're, you're following these certain principles. Mm-hmm. It was quite an experience. This, this went on for a few months, this, um, this introduction to the Baha'i faith. And I'd be studying late at night, and I'd be reading uh, some answered questions by Abdu'l-Baha, which is this, um, the son of Baha'u'llah, the founder and uh, manifestation of the Baha'i faith. And I would disagree with something, and I would go next door to my friend's house and bang on his door and say, 
what, what does he mean here? What is this? You know, I, I don't know if I can, you know, I don't know if I buy this. And hmm. whoever's door it would be, they would, you know, sit me down and you know, talk with me. And, you know, I never felt pushed. I never felt um, harassed. I was, uh, people always laughed at my, my thoughts. And laughed it, at your thoughts or your adamacy of... Yeah, it, it didn't laugh. It took my thoughts very seriously and laughed more at my, my, my approach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Banging on doors in the middle of the night <laughs> uh, to get answers, and uh, yeah. I, and I just I just really felt at home in this community. I, I really loved all the students and the professors, and everyone was just very warm and caring. And I was not the only non-Baha'i. There was uh, there was quite a few non-Baha'is, and, and everyone there was just really warm and, and and really just trying to find answers and and uh, and try to improve themselves, improve the world, and and try to help each other out. And it was it was really a great community to be in. Mm. I still had a lot of hang-ups uh, from Catholicism of, of, of institutionalized religion, and that was that was one of my biggest hurdles. Was how can I, even though the state has a lot of things I believe in, I, you know, do I really want to associate myself with with this this large religion, or this? Well, in, in terms of the world, it's not a huge religion, but it's it's a it's a you know it's, it's an a, organized religion. It's an organized religion, yes, and it's and it has laws and principles, and and I just was kind of nervous and I was kind of scared. I remember one day I was playing basketball with a with a friend of mine and, and I was telling her this and I was telling her my fears and, and and she just said, Oh, you know, just you know, open your heart up to God and let you know, let let your feelings drive. You don't analyze it. Wait don't rip yourself apart with your with your, your fears that were that came from your childhood with, with other religions and and when she said that I just I just was like, Wow, oh <laughs> I I, I never thought of it be that be that simple just to just to you know trust in God. That was probably two months into the time I was at the school, and that really started to change my view of, of organized religion. That because I had a bad experience when I was a child, because I, I felt a certain discomfort with organized religion, didn't mean that all organized religions were were necessarily bad. Mm-hmm. And as I studied the Baha'i faith more, I learned that these prophets who were came down from God gave religion. But after a time, these religions no longer could give the spirit of God, and a new religion came along and reinvigorated humanity. So I was learning that the, my experience with organized religion wasn't necessarily a bad experience with God, but it was a bad experience with how God's religion was interpreted by man after the religion had run its course. Hmm. And for me, that was, a, that was a big step because I felt that I could, I could look at the Baha'i faith in a new way. I didn't have to hold it up to uh, the light of Catholicism or the light of Judaism because those, the, my experience with Catholicism and Judaism and other religions, the things I didn't like about them were more aspects of, of, of man's inadequacy, mm-hmm. not the inadequacy of the, of the prophet or the inadequacy of, the, of God. And there's also another thing that Adib Daher today, one of his books that I've read of his, uh, he said that uh, being a human that believes in God, you have to, at some point in your life, realize that you could be wrong, that you may not be right. <laughs> and that was something that, that, that I think a lot of people, especially in America and, and myself, have a hard time with because we, we learn that we, are, you know, we have the capacity to know everything and, and to be right about everything and, and to... To take that moment to say, "Hey, I may not, I may not be right," even in our understanding of our own religion. Exactly, and 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 and, and to to realize that because there was aspects of the Baha'i faith that I wasn't sure about, and and, and 
I had to get over that hurdle that, that to realize that I may not be right. The Baha'u'llah may, in fact, be the uh, manifestation of God, and what he says is from God, and therefore is right, and I, I'm wrong. <laughs> and uh, and that was that was uh, that was hard. And uh, I, I think that's it might be hard for a lot of of, of Western people to mm-hmm. deal with um, to let go. I'm sorry, I keep jumping around, but I, I remember an experience with I went to a Baha'i kind of retreat while I was in Switzerland, and the person who was speaking at the retreat spoke of the Universal House of Justice, which is the, the overseeing administration body of the Baha'i faith. And I remember telling this person after the retreat that I believed in a lot of the Baha'i faith, but I don't know if I could subject myself to an administrative body. And the, this person kind of just laughed and uh, said, well, you know, if, if, you, uh, if you ever come to the point where you think you can, then... then you know, we'll see, <laughs> and 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 I think that was that was was to kind of release some of my. Um, it's interesting you should say that because we're always subjected to some administrative body telling us what to do, whether it's our government or whatever. So, I think you're right. I, I actually, I know you're right, but I think myself and a lot of young people growing up, at least where I was growing up, felt like we were independent of all these things or had the power to be independent of all these things. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of a delusion, mm. and it's it's more of aligning yourself with the right administration mm. to trust in the right people. And I think if if you've experienced a situation where you felt like you've been lied to, or mm. if someone hasn't lived up to your expectations, whether it be an individual or an institution, you feel like maybe there's no institution or anyone out there that I can really trust. Right. And I think that was my problem that I right. I, I really was distrustful sure so that was that was one of my hurdles and i just felt like i didn't need anyone i kept saying that to myself oh you know i'm i've i've learned all these principles of the baha'i faith why do i have to become a baha'i why can't i just go on living as i'm living i i I think i wanted to continue in my uh salad bar religion take the best (laughs) of the baha'i faith and you know not have to live up to its its laws and principles and go my merry way I was at um, Rizvan party. Rizvan is a celebration of the time when Baha'u'llah declared that he was indeed the manifestation of God for this day and age. And that took place in Baghdad. Um, in back what, in 1863? I trust you. Okay. <laughs> so I was, this was 2001. <laughs> and it, I was at a party in, in Switzerland at, uh, at one of the professor's houses. And... There was a Baha'i passing through who had just come from Eastern Europe, and he was a really charismatic guy. I, I can't remember his name, but he was he was a very charismatic guy. He was from a, he was from the U.S. He's from Ohio, I believe. And on his way back from Eastern Europe, he decided to stop in Switzerland and visit with the Baha'is there. And so we're at this Rizon party, and he gets up and he's telling the story of how he became a Baha'i, and everyone in the room is listening to this guy, and he's just he's a very funny, very funny person, very open. And he talks about this point where he's been introduced to the Baha'i faith. He really likes the Baha'i faith, but he doesn't want to align himself with an institution. He wants to be free, be himself, but yet, you know, take take all the benefits. So I'm, I'm thinking to myself, this sounds just like me. Right. And he said one day he was, he was washing his car, and it hits him that he is a Baha'i. And he said he started jumping up and down on the hose that he was doing 
washing his car with it, and he's, and he's saying, no, no, no. You know, he's, he's trying to deny it and really physically trying to deny it, but he said he just couldn't. He just realized that you know, he was Baha'i, and that was that. And at that exact moment when he said that, I felt this, it, it felt like a cannonball hitting me in the stomach. It was so powerful. I leaned over to a friend of mine who was sitting next to me, and I said, I think I'm a Baha'i. <laughs> oh, wow. And she just like... She just started to scream, and I put my hand over her mouth and I said, "You know, hold on, you know, don't don't get crazy." And uh, it, it was very emotional. It was it was it was, it was so physically emotional. It, I really felt this huge emotion running through me. In this, and as I said, it really felt like a cannonball hitting me in the stomach. And so I said to her, "Please, you know, just don't don't say anything just yet. Uh, I, I'm going to go home and I need to rest and get my head together." And uh, the party was up on this hill, and I lived down at the bottom of this hill. I don't—I felt like I floated down this hill to my house that night. And uh, that night, I um, had a dream that I was walking on my little street in Switzerland, and I came to the end of it, and there was an individual there, and he was spinning so fast that it was just a blur. And I couldn't get close to this, to this individual. It was just too powerful. But it was this individual I, I wanted to be around, but I couldn't. It was just too much, but I, I had to be around this individual and uh, have my ideas of <laughs> who that person was, or that individual was. That morning I woke up and I uh, became a Baha'i then. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Lars Patinod, a Baha'i and a graduate of religious studies from the former Land Egg Academy in Switzerland. Lars will be back to share his work in South Africa and the Balkans. For a copy of this and other interviews, you can go to the website www.abahaiperspective.com. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org, where you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you'll join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective.
Mine is the sunlight Mine is the morning Born of the one light Eden saw play Praise with elation Praise every morning God's recreation Of the new This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station.